You know, you can give us a call at 719-1490. That's 719-1490. We're on ESPN 104.9 FM and 1490 AM. You can also go and stream us at ESPNTucson.com. You can listen to the past podcasts or you can listen to the current show. I know we've got listeners all over the United States. Uh, we get callers in from the East Coast and all over the place. So give us a call, 719-1490. You know, you were talking about additives, and, boy, there is a bunch of them out there. Um, some good, some not so good. So, you know, do your homework. You know, uh, we've got BG Chemicals here, and uh, good stuff, you know. Like the uh, 44K fuel system additive, that's something that uh, should be added to your gas tank about annually. You know, help keep your fuel system clean. Uh, that's just one thing. There's motor oil additives. You know, I go back to my Corvette. The engine always went tick, 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 tick. You could hear those lifters just ticking away. And that thing used a quart of oil to about a fourth. I have that car on full synthetic, and I do 4,000-mile intervals of oil change on that. And I was talking with BG, and I was explaining all this, and he says, hey, he says, let's do this. I want you to do an engine oil flush, and then we're going to switch this thing over to 030 full synthetic from BG and motor oil additive. We did this, and the ticking all but disappeared, and the engine only used a half a quart of oil to the first oil change. On the second oil change, the ticking was gone, and it used no oil. Now, I'm not a believer. Mm-hmm. You know, I say, well, there's not a miracle in a bottle. Well, in this instance, there is. Believe you me, because that car still, it does not tick. It does not use a drop of oil. It just, it's fixed. There's other additives, too. You know, you've got your power steering uh, oil additives. I I found a good one from Merle's. I had a Hyundai that came in here, and, yeah, we put a new uh, power steering pump on it, but the way the power steering pumps and the reservoirs you know, some of the reservoirs are actually a little bit lower than the pump. And you get air in them and you get some noise and and a little bit of a whine from your power steering pump. I found an additive from Merle's that will take care of that whine noise. It, there's another miracle in a bottle. So, you know, heads up, do your homework, or give us a call. You know, give me a call at 572-1734. Give Jerry a call over at 884-0217 or give Parker a call 323-1960 Parker Automotive Service Center 323-1960 give any one of us a call we'll be happy to answer your questions about fuel system additives engine oil additives all the other additives that are out there to prolong the life of your vehicle and your components very important And we'll get you the right additives, the good ones, the ones that work. Because there are some snake oil out there in a bottle that, yeah, you can spend a few bucks, but it really doesn't do anything. So 
So you need to do your do your homework. And read the instructions. Read the don't, instructions on the additive. Absolutely. Uh, I had you a, don't want to over-medicate. I, yeah. I had a, a question while I was back east about uh, how do you know that the engine needs, uh, you know, the motor vac, the carbon cleaning. And I said, you can run top-tier fuels. You can run regular fuels. You can run anything you want to. Carbon is a byproduct inside of an engine. It's only a matter of time before it either causes a problem, but if you stay on top of it with a uh, either a motor vac or the BG chemicals, uh, it's going to happen less. And they, when you do clean it out uh, with a motor vac, you'll get that stuff before it turns into hard carbon carbons. The hard carbons is a son of a gun to get out of that. But you, if you stop and think about it, your fuel delivery system from the fuel tank all the way up through the engine uh, on these injector rails, on the injectors themselves, that stuff starts building up after a period of time. The biggest thing is people don't, I mean, in Arizona, we drive our cars. Some people will drive them 15,000 miles a month. Some people don't. They'll drive them like 200 miles a month. And they say, okay, well, I only drive two. This is classic cars, too. And they say, well, you know, how often did I, should I change it if I got a classic car? Well, the, everything that I can find and everything that I look at says, okay, change your oil once a year, even in a classic car. Because if you're not driving it, you still have a certain amount of water that's inside the system. Therefore, you're going to have some surface rust inside of the cylinders where this stuff goes in. It just sits there. You don't you don't run it every day. You don't have it in closed loop every day, which means you run it long enough to get it in closed loop. Temperature comes up. You don't, and it doesn't run long enough to pass all the garbage out the exhaust and down through the catalytic converter. So you have a surface rust. So in order to stay on top of that, you want to go ahead and just put the additive in it. That'll slow it down but you're going to get a buildup of carbon because that's the nature of the beast. And they say, well, how do I know I need it? I said, the first thing that I noticed on mine was when you first fired up in the morning, it takes just a little bit longer and it's a little rough idle once it fires off. Then you can put an additive like a 44K or you can go ahead and do the uh, motor vac and get it cleaned up and then you won't have that problem. It'll start easier, start smoother, fuel economy will go up because it allows the engine to perform the way it was originally designed. So, you know, there that's that's a good argument for that. And if the uh fuel mixture that has the um the alcohol in it now. Uh, when that stuff you have an additive for that. Even your biofuels, you have an additive for that. So when you're in the in the store, go to you can go to Myrtle's and you can look at their additives. And if you have any question, you can ask them about it. But you don't want the cheapest thing on the rack, and you don't want the most you don't need the most expensive thing on the rack because a lot of it is based on marketing. Uh, Lucas is a good product, a little more expensive, but it's it's got a heavy uh, marketing program for it. Uh, you've got STP. STP turned out their fuel additive is one of the best on the market. It's ranked third. 
And uh, it's only because it's behind AMSOIL and uh, DG Chemicals. So you, you have a selection there that you can get to and do it. All right, you said something about having a caller on the line? We got a caller on the line? Yes, sir, we got uh, James on the line. Morning, James. How you doing? I'm doing just Morning, fine. James. Um, I have a question doing about well. the fuel injection cleaner. Um, Go ahead. I know in AutoZone, there's like about 15 different kinds, and I, I know Lucas is a good version, but is there a big difference between one brand versus another? And second, when you put it in, is it good to put it in when your tank is almost, like, say, almost empty, or does it really matter? You should Go put ahead, it Brian. in and then fill it. Most of these cleaners will treat 20, 25 gallons. So, you know, put it in, fill the tank, and then run it until it's less than a quarter of a tank. So you use all the chemical. You don't want to, you know, fill it and then run it to a half and then fill it back up because you've just diluted the concentration of what you added. Okay. So you read the side of the bottle. It'll usually tell you how many gallons it treats. Uh, you have some of it that is concentrated, which means that you're going to put two ounces in it or one ounce in it, whatever it calls, for 10 gallons or 20 gallons. Uh, I used one that required two ounces per 20 gallons. And so I thought, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll take my own advice and read the instructions. And it worked well for me, and it was a good one, and it was not expensive. Uh, you can go uh, the like for the algae it build up in a diesel tank. People think, well, you read the diesel additive says helps to prevent allergy. All it has is a chemical in there that actually picks up the water particles and moves it out. They they move it on through the system. That's helped prevent it. Does it clear up what's in there? No. You have to go go to. Um, uh, uh, auto, auto, sir, what's a, what, what's a, what am I looking for, Brian? The algae treatment for that. It's service, service, oh geez, grain page. What was Told that? You. Don't go on, huh? I'll it's, just it's go grab one. a bottle here. Hang on. All right. It's, it's for one, uh, that will actually remove the algae out of the tank. It'll flush it out of the tank. Service yeah, it's product. called Power Service. Power Service. There we go. Power Service. Yeah. Which you know, read the bottle on power that. Power Service. You do need to read the bottle on that because, like this diesel clean with Cetane Boost, it's an injector yep. cleaner and performance improver. Uh, supposed to you know maximum power and fuel economy. Another thing that it mm -hmm. has in it is a lubricant for your diesels. Really important. Okay, yep. my my engine is not a, it's not a diesel though, so is, is that gonna so is that does that matter or not? Well, they, this is a diesel cleaner from Power Service. They also make gas, regular gas engine cleaners. Um, like you said, the Lucas is a good one. Lucas yep. is real good, um, but the best really out there, the five best fuel additives on the market is BG forty four K. And then it says second is Lucas, third is Royal Purple, fourth is Chevron Tecron, and then one that I have not heard of was uh, Redline. Yeah, so Redline's been around a, quite a while. 
You can use STP gas treatment for a gasoline motor. And I've seen the results on that as far as the testing. I've seen them test it. And the STP gas treatment works really well, and it's probably the cheapest of anyone we've just named. Uh, I use the uh, BG chemicals because I want the stuff that uh, is really heavy-duty and a good cleaner, but it's expensive. And that's 245K on a diesel and 44K on a gasoline engine. But you treat it once a year with that, and then you, you don't have to worry about it. The SDP, I'd go about every third tank of that. But if you don't put too much in it, but put enough in it to get the job done and follow the instructions, like Brian said, we have taken cars that wouldn't even run when they come in at the shop because they would get down to half a tank, they'd put a full treatment and go back to uh, then a half tank, next half tank, they put another full treatment in it that treats 15 or 20 gallons, I think was the case on that. And instead of them saying, okay, well, I've already got the treatment in there that's mixed at the proper ratio. Now I'm going to fill it back up and put another can in it. Well, that changes the ratio inside the system. So you have to be careful. Don't overfill it, but don't, I mean, use the, use it. When you get under a quarter of a tank, it'll be diluted enough. When you put the next mixture in there, it should go on through without any problems whatsoever. But if you do it about every third tank, when you use a quality uh, cleaner, do it about every third tank, you'll be good to go. It should it should last. The BG44K, you put one in it, and it'll go about 12 months. Okay, but you did say you should let the tank go down to a, uh, less than a quarter before you put the fuel additive in or the fuel injection cleaner, I'm sorry. Well, if you yeah. haven't ever added any, you can add it in any time, but you want to fill the tank after you've added the cleaner. Right. It right, mixes okay. it. And then run it until it's less than a quarter of a tank, and you'll get oh, the yeah. full effect of the chemical that you put in. Now, when you say run it, are you mean just let it run idle, or just drive it around town? You know, drive around town as usual. Drive or? it around normally, as you would. Mm-hmm. Oh. Okay. If you go to Phoenix, good. if you go to Phoenix, you can put a, a can in it and drive it to Phoenix. That's the optimum. Or if you go in the White Mountains, because you're running at a closed loop, engine temperature is going to be up where it's supposed to be, and it will burn. It will burn and give it a chance to evacuate through the exhaust system the byproducts. So that's ideal. If you want to take a trip, throw a can of conditioner in it and go. And that works really well. Oh, that's well, that answers my question. That sounds good. I'll I'll keep in my BG forty four K. Okay. Thanks a lot. Have a good day. And Thanks another thing another thing you can go ahead, you can go to powerservice.com. It's a good technical service organization that has a lot of information on the different uh, chemicals that they actually produce and what kind of effect they will have on the car. It's just, it's an education program. Once you get in there, read what they've got on there for gasoline motors, and that will give you an idea, and that'll answer just about any question that you could possibly have on it. And that's a, that's a good way to play when you're sitting there and it's raining outside or something like that, but that works. You can go to bg.com. And get the same information. BG is going to be a little more expensive. It's not out. You can't buy it in a store. 
So it, but it, it works. And I've seen the test on BG. I've seen it on Amazon, Royal Purple, everything in the world. And when I found out that STP gas treatment actually is ranked number three as far as its ability to clean carbon and clean the injectors. I thought, well, that's pretty cool because STP has been around longer than I have. Trust me, that's a long time. And <laughs> it still works. Still works. But just read, go to your websites on those things. They have a lot of good technical information, and that will help you down the road when you're out and say, uh-oh, I've got to get a treatment. What do I get? And it will give you a spread of which one's good, which ones you're kind of wasting your money on. But um, the concentrate is going to be your best buy, but it's a pain in the butt because you've got to remember to put it in, and you've got to you got to be able to house it. And most of the stuff is so strong after a period of time, riding around in the bed of your truck or in the side door of your car, when you get ready to pull it out, you're going to find you got a leak, and it's sitting in the side of the car or it's sitting in the full or the bed of the truck. So put it in a plastic bag and hope like a heck that'll slow it down because plastic bag will not retain it like you think a plastic bag would retain it. So uh, that's the reason that the just buy it and pour it in there is a lot more effective and a lot easier for the consumer than having that little bottle. I, I buy these things and concentrate it because I'm always, always testing the bottles to see if the bottles are going to hold up. I found out they didn't. Uh, Penray is another good additive that you can use, but if you get it, get the small bottle so that you can pour it all in there at one time because I bought some. It set in the bed of the truck. It melted in the bed of the truck. The bottle did itself. And I sent oh, a, wow. a con- I contacted uh, Penray uh, and told them what was going on. said, yeah, we're working on that. Working on my butt. Everybody else that makes it last longer than that. So, you know, and I don't like that mess laying in the bed of my truck. So just... Get you a good one. Don't get the cheap one. Don't get the most expensive. Get the middle grade. Read the bottle. And remember, helps control carbon. That means that it just takes it out. If you're going to get something to work on that carbon, you're going to have to step it up to the 44K or one that says removes carbon from engine. It will not get it all. You'll eventually have to have a motor vac. But by golly, it, you'll have a lot easier time when we do the motor back by getting the rest of it out of there. So, and carbon yeah, it definitely helps. I don't, yeah, it definitely helps. So, all right. Back to the motor Hopefully that answers. Go ahead, Brian. And how that works is on your port-injected engines, the gas is injected right into the intake port and it washes over the intake valve. But with all the exhaust gas recirculation things and the PCV systems, positive crankcase ventilation systems on the vehicles, you get a mist of oil that will film in to the intake and get on the back side of that intake valve. Now, yes, there's heat there too. You little mist of oil, enough heat, that creates the carbon that sticks on that valve. <laughs> And I've seen enough carbon get stuck on the back side of the valves where the valve doesn't close all the way anymore. Now, if it's not closing all the way anymore, your engine vacuum is going to be decreased. You could have a misfire caused from a valve not closing all the way. 
So now how do we fix this? Well, here comes the MotorVac. It's one of the best pieces of equipment in our shop and Jerry's shop and I'm sure at Parker's. Yep. The thing is, is we hook this MotorVac machine into your car's fuel system. We can hook it up to the supply, the return line. The MotorVac machine has its own fuel pump, so I can dial in the fuel pressure to whatever the specified pressure is for that vehicle, be it 40, be it 60, whatever it is, I can dial it in. And it has its own fuel tank, and it has its own fuel filter. So what a wonderful thing. You know, I mean, not only does it get rid of the carbon on the valves, and I'll tell you how that happens after this. Another cool thing with the MotorVac system is, is if I got a vehicle in here that's running lean or doing something strange, and I suspect something's wrong with the fuel delivery system, guess what? I have a known good fuel pump in the MotorVac where I can bypass the fuel pump on the car, run the MotorVac on the on the car at its specified fuel pressure, and I can eliminate the possibility of the fuel pump not putting out enough volume. Because fuel pumps can put out enough pressure, but no, vo not enough volume, meaning it's not going to fill the glass quick enough. You know what I'm saying? So that's one thing. The other thing is, is this carbon that we're referring to. When I hook the motor vac into the supply and the return line, that motor vac machine is ran for about an hour with the engine off. Now, what's happening here is, is all the debris that's on the back side of that injector, because the injector's got a small screen on the top about the size of a pencil eraser, and it can get enough debris on that back side of that screen that it can restrict the amount of fuel that goes into the injector. First, we want to clean that off with the engine off. After that is done, now the fuel rail's clean, the injector rail's clean. You start the car and run the cleaner through the injector. What's happening there is is it's cleaning the injector pintles that we call them, the little tiny, tiny holes in the bottom of the injector that spray the fuel out. Now that's getting clean. Now that cleaner is also spraying onto the intake valve. And the chemical's pretty pretty good. And it's able to eat up that carbon that's on the back side of the valve. What happens then on your port injected engine is is the engine's vacuum increases. Because all a motor is is a great big vacuum cleaner. It sucks air in and blows it out. That's all it is. So if we can make yep. it increase its ability to inhale and exhale, it's gonna run better, it's gonna accelerate better, it's gonna idle better your misfire could be gone. So that's the great deal about that motor vac machine. Best best vehicle or best piece of equipment in the shop. I had a vehicle mm -hmm. one time. It was running so rough. I motor vacked it and it got better. And I called up the customer. I says, you know what? I think we're going in the right direction. But we still haven't 100% cured this thing. I think we should motor vac it again. We motor vac it the second time. And man, oh man, this thing runs like a top. You know, it's just running great. No more misfires, no more smoking out the exhaust. Runs great. So it's a good service. Uh, you know, MotorVac recommends to have that done every 15 to 18,000 miles. And it, it just it just flat works. But we what get about into the, the uh, gas-direct-injected gas-direct-injected system? I was just going to go there. Now, okay, the wonderful good. new vehicles that we have is called GDI, Gas 
direct injected, or SIDI, which is spark ignited direct injection. What do we mean by direct injection is, is the fuel injector is no longer in the intake port. The fuel injector is injecting gas directly into the combustion chamber, into the top of the piston. So what happens here, and it's a problem, I went to a class, uh, they focused on the General Motors, GDI or SIDI. The four- and six-cylinder engines have problems with carbon buildup on the backside of the intake valves. Now, how does this happen again? It's because of the positive crankcase ventilation systems and the EGR, exhaust gas recirculation systems, where this little mixture of, of oil gets on the backside of the valve. Well, the gas isn't spraying on the valve anymore like it was on your port injected. It's spraying directly into the combustion chamber, like I said. So carbon builds up on the backside of the valves, causing them not to close all the way. I referred to that before. And it causes an intermittent misfire. The carbon can also build up on the injectors, and this is another cause of the misfire. You know, the carbon on the valves, the misfire may not be felt by you because it happens so gradually and you're, you know, making excuses, not intentionally, for the way your vehicle's running. But, you know, I'll get in it and I'll have my the window down, my arm on the side of the window, and I can feel the car shaking. That's the beginning of a misfire. And if you pull up the codes, codes and data, on the scanner, you can actually see the cylinders misfiring. Now, on the GDIs, a motor vac is not going to work. There's a different way that we have to clean that or attempt to. And it's we have a different process where we, we fog the chemical into the throttle body, and it goes straight for the intake valve, which... That's a good maintenance thing, and I would do it annually. General Motors recommends annually because due to the carbon buildup issues, you know, it can get so bad that you can't clean it. And then you have to remove the cylinder head and basically do a valve job on this thing, which is big bucks. So if we fog it in there, in some cases, I, I had an F-150 here. The guy, believe it or not, drove all the way to our shop from Sierra Vista. So I, yay for him that he'd come that far. I mean, he passed a lot of garages to come all the way to us. But, uh, you know, we did the service to his F-150. It had random cylinder misfires. It actually set a code P0300. That's random cylinder misfires. And you could feel the truck shaking a little bit. We fogged the chemical into that truck once. And it got better, you know, I because I had the scanner on the vehicle. Again, we have scanners, not code readers, where I can see the cylinder's misfire count. And I says, you know, this thing got better with the first fogging of the chemical into the throttle body. I says, I think we ought to do it again. He says, go for it. It's cheaper than removing the cylinder heads on this thing. We did it the second time, and believe it or not, the cylinder misfires were gone. On the scanner, I could see all the misfire counters for the cylinders were zero. So yay for that service. So heads up, if you've got a GDI vehicle, 
try and get that thing fogged, the intake valves cleaned at least annually. I mean, at this class, what was it, GM says fuel system service should be done every three to 5,000 miles. That was wow. right from General Motors at this class. <clears throat> you know, but who wants to spend $100 plus every time they do an oil change? Okay, what's different? What What would you rather? Would you rather spend $100 for a fuel system cleaning, or would you like to spend thousands of dollars to have the cylinder heads removed? It's up to you. You don't want to, yeah. You don't want to go there on that cylinder head removal on these late model engines. Boy, they they get get a few thousand. Yeah, you're right on the money with that. The other thing on the uh, when you fog the engine, you also clean the intake. I mean the uh, uh, throat of the in- induction system up front, where it's got a little valve that controls your air fuel mixture. Uh, that has a buildup of oil sludge from the inside and uh, people say well you know and the way you figure that out is you'll have a rough start in the morning uh you will because it's not mixing properly it'll run a little rough uh your fuel economy is going to go down and if you clean just uh, my brother calls it blowing its nose He, he cleans it up that way and it works very well on his four vehicles that he has and he does it about once every six months, and he goes in and cleans it, and then he, he doesn't have that rough idle. He doesn't have the the air mixture problem that uh, you would normally have if you don't keep that thing clean and allow it to open and close and stay within the parameters that was originally designed to work in. What happens, it gets past the parameter uh, one or two degrees and it starts acting stupid. So you clean it up, allow, allow the faceplate to close back up properly and adjust to the amount of air being forced into that engine. And then it works like it's supposed to. So well, another, that's a good thing to have on these. Another thing you're cleaning when you do the throttle body, you go in and you clean the idle air controller if it has one. Um, carbon can build up on the idle air controller which it needs to open and not be restricted because it controls the idle speed of your engine. Um, If you get enough carbon built up on that, your RPMs, your engine revolutions per minute, will be lessened. So you go in and you clean the idle air controller. But then also, in some cases, you're going to have to do an idle relearn procedure so the computer knows what's going on with that. So... Yep. Anyway. Um, <laughs> there's nothing simple anymore. No, there's not. You know, I've seen, uh, you know, cases where, you know, you've changed the battery on a vehicle and you didn't plug in a memory saver, what what we have a, a box that is, uh, it's, it's plugged into the data link connector, and hang on just a second here. Take over there, Jerry, for a second. I got someone walked in. Yeah, um, but you can. Uh, you just. You just have to fo- follow the procedures. The biggest thing on these cars still. We can talk to you about uh, carbon removal. We can talk to you about getting a sludge off the end of the injectors. Uh, we can talk to you about any of this stuff, and. I still refer you 
over to uh, powerservice.com, bg.com, and you can read all the technical data, and you can find the stuff in there that actually relates to the vehicle that you're driving. And all of us are always on computers, so, you know, that's, that's nothing unusual. You research it, but there is so much information out there on this particular additive is better than this one. That's marketing. You read the bottles. You don't go to the cheapest ones. You don't go to the most expensive ones. You go in the middle, and you get that, and you try it. But the thing about adding a bottle to your crankcase or your gas tank, fuel tank, or adding anything to the oil for uh, MOA, which is a motor oil additive by BG Chemicals, you can see what it does. You can actually feel the results as it goes through and starts to clean them up. Diesels are notorious for this. You have a, a diesel coking of the uh, torque converters. You have a lot of variable vein torque converters out there now. Uh, the veins, variable, means they've got these little flaps in there and they open up and close up, depending on the RPM and needed, uh, how much you're pulling, how much you're driving. And it just, it, they they coke up and then they don't operate properly and you think, okay, I'm losing I'm losing a little bit of power here. Well, it's because your torque converters, I mean your... Uh, it, it means that your system is not working like it's supposed to. And if you use these additives and don't go crazy with them, just use them and it'll help you. If you're looking your owner's manual on these new cars, you'll see that GM, Ford, all of them say, at every oil change, add a can of gasoline treatment, part number, blah, 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 blah. Okay? Well, if you do that at 10,000 miles, it's really not, and you only drive like 2,000 miles a year. No. You're not, one, you're not running the vehicle long enough in closed loop to help it keep clean. So that is the additive that you need in there to actually clean these motors with limited mileage, and that's the biggest benefit. Don't get confused about the gasoline where you have top-tier fuels and regular fuels. People say, well, I'm, I'm running, I, I run across this back east. My brother said, I always run top-tier fuel in this thing because it works better, it cleans better, blah, blah, blah. Okay, fine. Well, we got to a spot where we need to get fuel, and it wasn't a top-tier station. And he says, oh, my gosh. And he, I said, don't panic, Jesus Christ. Just go ahead and buy the fuel. I'd rather – I don't push a vehicle very well anymore and get the regular fuel. And so you get the regular fuel, and then first thing he does when we get back into Carolina, he goes ahead and fills it up with a top-tier fuel. That's good. Top-tier fuels is good. It has more additives in it than the regular fuel. The regular fuel that the government mandates, you have such and such an additive put in it, and, you know, this, this will do it. Well, that, that specification was put out about 10,000 years ago, I think, because it no longer holds up. So you put the additives in it, even recommended by uh, the manufacturers. You just add an additive to it. If you want to go down to GM and get a can of additive before you run across the uh, 10,000-mile oil change recommendation, go ahead and do it. You're not going to hurt anything by running additional additives in this thing and help control it because no two people drive a vehicle alike, 
no two states have the same um, environmental environmental concerns. So if you do that, then what you're doing is covering it. You have to gear your maintenance program on that vehicle based on the way you drive the vehicle, what you use the vehicle for, and the environment. How much dirt do you have in the air? You know, that's the reason you change your filters. Uh, oil. You've got all of this electronic stuff on your car that's oil control now, especially with the... Um, uh, You have you, the the oil has to be clean. You have uh, uh, the the valve timing that changes automatically. That has to be changed so that everything moves. The valves and stuff move like they're supposed to. Uh, it's just that's what you go with. You just go with it. Uh, as far as uh, let's let's see something about the advertisers now. We've got we've been talking about Parker Automotive all, all morning. They're located at 5101 East Speedway, 323-1960, 323-1960. You can call in there. You can talk to Scott or Ryan at Parker. Uh, they have all the equipment that it takes to maintain your vehicle. That's the reason it's called Parker Automotive Service Center. They can repair it. They can align it. They've got the big fancy racks like Brian has, like Simmons has for front-end alignments. The front-end alignment should be done once a year. You should have it checked. Uh, in Tucson, if you're going to be running through a lot of construction zones with a lot of lumps and bumps and holes in the road, then you want to get it checked probably about uh, every 90 days. But you can look at your tires and see if they're worn, if they're capped, if they have cupping on the edge of the tires. Uh, Ford used to have a real problem with that with their independent front suspension that they would cup out, and you could tell, oh, well, i got to have this thing aligned. Well, they're not that uh, blatant right now. You can see if the outside of your tires are wearing different than the inside of your tires. You can see if the middle of the tire is is wearing out. If the middle of the tire is wearing out, it's normally because you have too much air in the tires. If the outside of the tires are wearing out, it means that you have too little of air in the tires because the center is not wearing out accordingly. It needs to run out evenly. So if you have an inside wear on both tires, you've got an alignment problem. If you have an outside wear on the tires, you have an alignment problem. And the rest of it is pretty much tied to when you check your air air pressures in the tires, which should be about once every 30 days, you need to take your little uh, little tire gauge and go around and just check your airs. Most of the vehicles now, like my 150 that had the flat tire yesterday, hey, it just tells you this is how much you've got 16 pounds in a tire that's supposed to have 45. That's not good. And then you find it and it's got a nail in it. Well, welcome to Tucson. You've got enough construction around this to have a flat tire about once a week. However, we don't unless somebody drops a keg of nails off the back of a truck when they're driving and then 25 or 30 people run through the nails and pick up 25 or 30 flat tires or more on the vehicle that they're driving. So you can still maintain your vehicles, but just be vigilant. You do not have to be a technician. And when you're inspecting your tires, park it, turn the tires to the left, 
get out of your car, go around to the driver's side, look at the inside treads and see if you've got a bunch of cracks on the inside that shouldn't be there because tires do not come automatically from a manufacturer with uh, the cracks in them. And then check the uh, DOT rating on the side of the tire, which will have four digits in it. The first two digits are going to be the week of the year that this tire was built. The second digit will be the year. So if it says 52 on the front and 20 uh, and 20 on the back, then that thing that tire was manufactured on the 52nd week of the year of year 2000. So you can follow it. Tires in Arizona don't really want to last more than about about four to five years. Uh, you can. It depends on how it's housed. Is it in the garage all the time, or is it sitting out? Let the sun bake them. If you have a horse trailer, the average tire life on a horse trailer, because they're normally outside all the time, is three years, thirty six months. I don't care if your tires look brand new. Uh, you need to look at them really close, and you'll see the little uh, cracks showing up in them. And that means yeah, there's that, a lot of truth uh, to that. You know, my uh, I bought a new set of tires for Dad's fifth wheel, and those nice new 14 ply tires. He when the when the camper sat, he would take those off, and he had a separate set of tires that he would put on just for it sitting. Yeah. And I put the 14 ply tires back on the vehicle. But I was looking through that set of four tires, trying to figure out which one's going to be a good spare. And three of them were so dry cracked on the sidewalls, I don't know how they could even hold 50 pounds of air. They would blow out. I looked at them, and they were just scary. You know, I did find one that would be a good spare. But, you know, after time, the sun rots these tires to the point where they just fall apart. And you can have a blow. drives them out. Yeah. You know, another uh, thing like I, you were I saying sw- about the tire air pressure is mm-hmm. if you have low tire air pressure, the rolling resistance of your vehicle is increased. And you can decrease your fuel mileage just by running around on a tire with low air pressure. So keep them mm-hmm. up to the cold specs that's on your door pillar. You open your door, there's a, there's a little placard there that's going to tell you the size of your tire and the cold specification. Because Just remember to mind, check it when it's cold. Check it when it's cold. Exactly right. right. And like, you know, of course, well, we're in the summer heat right now, but hey, guess what? This fall, temperatures will drop, and so will your tire air pressure. For every degree, or what was it, every 10 degrees of temperature drop, you lose like one pound of air pressure in your tire. So if you get a 50-degree swing in temperature drop, you could lose five pounds of air pressure in your tire. So, And keep in mind, too, you know, every time that we do a 3,000 or 5,000-mile service, I noticed a lot of times these tires are low on air. Now, oh, yeah. you, know, you, can, you can look at them, like Jerry said. You'll see if they're squatting down a little bit. Uh, most cars today have tire pressure monitoring systems where they have a sensor inside of the rim 
that monitors the amount of air pressure and will tell you on the dash, you know, if you've got one low or not. So heads up, you know, rolling resistance decreases your your fuel mileage. Keep them tires aired up. They'll last longer. Yeah, that, yeah I've noticed that fuel prices are up pretty stout right now. I paid $3 a gallon for a Honda be filled up yesterday. And back east, they're as bad as they are here. So the fuel prices in North Carolina, Virginia, and Tucson, Arizona are almost identical. So you just you have to pay attention to that. Uh, this uh, LensAuterBrokerage.com, Brian over there said just put his website out, LensAuterBrokerage.com. If you're looking for a pre-owned vehicle, or if you want to buy a new one and you know what you want and you just want somebody to handle a deal for you, LensAutobrokerage.com. Also, DesertRVCenter.com. DesertRVCenter.com is located down next to Sierra Vista. It's owned by uh, LensAutobrokerage.com, and he has some good deals on uh, RVs and stuff like that. So you can go to lensautobrokerage.com, check the website, and then you go to desertrvcenter.com, and you can see what the inventory is without ever driving anywhere. You can sit there in your living room and do that, or kitchen, or in your whatever. But you can find the information there that you're looking for. Merle's also has a, a machine shop service on the weekends and during the week, and they're located at 15 West Ajo. That machine shop service you know, it's like rotors and drums and flywheels. They'll flatten a flywheel, they'll turn your rotors, and they'll turn your drums for you. So that's located at 15 West Ajo. Uh, all right, we're back to you now, big guy. And again, you can go to Automotive Specialist. Uh, we're open Monday through Friday, 730 to 5. We're located at 3611 West Ina Road. That's at Meredith and Ina in the Bookman's Plaza behind Checker O'Reilly Auto Parts. Meredith and Ina is one stoplight east of Ina and Thornydale. Been here for about 26 years now. As I always say, test first, don't guess. And as Jerry says, evidence-based diagnostics. It's the only way to go. Prove it, and then after you're done, you need to prove that you fixed it. That's right. It's the only way to go. You can well, also go to our website, there. which is AutomotiveSpecialistAZ.com. That's AutomotiveSpecialistAZ.com. You can go there, read about us. You can schedule an appointment, and we'll take care of you. You can call 572-1734. Uh, my son, Mitch, is uh, thankfully helping us out, um, and you can call him. He can set you up on the on the schedule. So give us a call. Uh, Brian, uh, what I'd like to do now is can we go to battery replacement, the do's and don'ts. Uh, you mentioned earlier that once you fix something, then you need to verify it. I know a lot of people, even in, while I was back east, there's people changing batteries, and they just put it in. Say, yeah, the battery went dead. Hmm. I looked at the battery. The battery is 18 months old. And I said, what caused it to go bad? I don't know. Well, that's exactly right. You know, I see it all the time. Uh Customer says, well, I need a battery. My battery failed. So they go to their big box store, and they get them a battery and pop it in there. And it runs for a day, and they're done. Now the battery's dead again. Did the battery go dead because the battery went dead, or did it have some help? Who would help this thing? 
There's lots of things. You're driving a computer with wheels, you know. Parasitic draw. This is part of a battery test. You test the battery. You test the alternator if it starts. You test the starter. And then the all-important thing, is there a draw? Meaning, is something staying on while the engine's off? You have to confirm that there is no draw. I mean, in a perfect world, you want to see after everybody's gone to sleep, meaning all the computers have turned off, you want to see around 0.02, two-tenths of a volt. Less than. That's So anyway, you need to test for all this. Like I say, test for some yes. Make sure we did a we worked on a fifty four Ford six uh, six volt system while I was back in South Carolina, and uh, he was having a problem with his battery just staying dead all the time. And he said he had a mechanic come out, a mechanic uh, put on a voltage regulator, and then they did all this other stuff. So we tested it with what little equipment we had back there, and found out that there is no difference in that vehicle running with the voltage regulator. Uh, on the old one, when we was testing, when it was off and we measured it, when it was on and we measured it, there was no no movement in the needle. So we put a new voltage regulator on it, and then you have to ground the fill wire to the battery wire, just a little touch of a spark, and then you put it on, and then that energizes the voltage regulator, and it reads properly. And then we realized that, okay, we got it on there, and it was charging now. We could see the difference in the, in the readings when it was where it's supposed to be. And so, but it wasn't producing enough. Well, we didn't have another uh, alternator that you could put on there. Uh, no, uh, yeah, alternator, gener- generator. We didn't have another six volt generator we could put on and find out what's going on with it. We did bring the RPMs up to about fifteen hundred and held them, see if we could make the old one work. And we couldn't do that. We put the new one on, and we did see the difference in it. So the voltage regulator is now working, but the alternator wasn't put. Uh, the generator wasn't put putting enough out uh, to where I thought it was going to do a whole lot of good. It'd do a little good, but it wouldn't do a whole lot of good. And I just told him I said without another. Uh, generator, we don't know. You can take that generator off or have somebody take it off, send it in, and have the generator rebuilt. And they can check it out and find out and make sure that it is, in fact, a generator problem. And then put the brushes and stuff. You can rebuild a generator and it'll work. But, uh, yeah, you can replace the brushes. You can replace the regulator inside of it. And, you know. Right. If, but I just thought good. it was pretty amazing. Yeah. And uh, but that there's no reason for that battery to go down as fast as it was going down, other than surface charge or something like that. We could not verify. Didn't have enough time to sit there and verify that. But well, um, that's another thing with the battery the test. You know, when when you test that alternator, you got to test the the alternator's ability to, to charge. You know, how many amps is that's it putting right. out? You know, back in that's the generator right. days, the amperage output was you know maybe thirty to fifty at best. You know, the early alternators were around 50 back in the, you know, 70s. Uh, but mm-hmm. today's cars, again, you're driving a computer with wheels. It needs voltage, yeah. and it needs yeah. 12 volts plus, not 11, mm-hmm. not 11.5. It needs 12 plus. 
And these alternators, I mean, they're 100 amps, 105 amps, 140 amps. And a lot of these newer cars, these alternators are expensive. So, again, you need to test them. I mean, if it's a 140-amp alternator, it better be able to put out 140 amps plus. This is where you need yep. to load test it. It's where I like my old right. VAT 40 from Sun equipment, where yeah. it actually has a carbon pile in it that you can load the alternator, and you can see what it's putting out. I mean, make it work. Right. I mean, the only well, other just way see. you could make an alternator Better. load would be to turn all the lights on, the blower on high, yeah. and open the doors. You know, that you could simulate right. a load like that. But you have yep. to load test these things. Yep. Uh, I look at that and go, and, you know, the batteries, the amount of ba- batteries are not cheap anymore. And I see people, they'll, they'll go into a place like I've seen back east, and they get the cheapest battery they have. When I look at the cold cranking amps on it, I'm going, I don't think this is the one that this vehicle called for. And uh, so sure enough, they'll Google it and find out what you're supposed to have in it. And say, oh, oh, you know, and so the cheapest battery, a battery is a battery is a misnomer. It's not, they've got different cold cranking amps. Try to start a diesel with a 400 cold cranking amp. (laughs) Not going to happen. A little bit. No. And uh, when you check a battery, if a battery pulls down, you know, I've got one of those automatic battery uh, analyzers and checkers that I put on the Ford yesterday. And uh, it showed 9.2 volts in it. You can't start. That motor won't even talk to you. All it does is a bell comes on. And uh, But yet when I charged it for about five hours, I was able to get it up enough where we had enough juice to at least get it over to the shop to get a battery changed out. But um, it, was just, it was a temporary start it. Don't shut it off till you get there. And, uh, of course, we shut it off uh, when we had the tire replaced or fixed. And surprisingly, I was in there holding my breath, but it started up. I said, just don't turn it off till you get to the shop. So evidently that worked out pretty good. So, But don't just assume that a battery goes dead. And look at your battery cables. If they have the green or white stuff growing on top, the green growing on the end of the battery cables, it's time to take that battery cable apart skin it back and just take a razor or something and open it up down about an inch to see how far that green stuff goes down the cable and i'm telling you with these late model vehicles you have to have a positive absolutely positive end on that cable clamped in proper clean in order for, to get rid of the problem if you don't you're gonna have a problem it's, it's yeah you'll have a voltage drop that's which right it's a huge problem you know, if you have a voltage drop and you're only supplying about 11.5 volts to your computer with wheels, well, first thing that's going to happen is, like the little Honda CRV the other day, I uh, we had all kinds of codes in the computer. You know, we had ABS mm-hmm. codes, we had brake lining warning lights on, we had <coughs> steering. Uh, stability control warning lights on. We had all kinds of low-voltage codes in this vehicle. I mean, 22 computers, and just about every single one of the computers in that Honda CRV had a code in it for low voltage. Yeah. Right. So it creates all kinds of problems. 
You know, you have well, to you, have a good battery. And you have you to gotta know what you don't know. Exactly. In a lot of these cars, if you get enough corrosion into the battery cable, watch out. I mean, if you can't clean it up, and they're already so short, it isn't like back in the day when you had a battery cable that was about six inches too long where you could just cut off a couple inches and put a new cable end on it. Don't work with these new cars. To save money, they've got those cables just exactly the length that they have to be to reach the battery. So if you've got enough corrosion going backwards from your leaking battery, which contrary to belief, they're not supposed to leak, you know, right. you're going to have to replace that cable. Well, guess what? That cable's part of the harness. Right. And it can have all kinds of other wires <laughs> intertwined with it. And, you and along comes the bat is the expense. $300 yeah, you call for a battery cable? You've got to be kidding me. Nope, that's real. Yeah. It's absolutely real. crazy. And uh, these temporary ends that you buy, that you take a little 7 inch and tighten up the little uh, plate on the top that squishes the bare wire, they are designed for temporary use only. You need to have that cable fixed. The later, the later exactly. model of the car, the more you've got to make sure you have it done. Okay, Brian, well, we're, we're running out, out, of, out of time, time here on the Simmons Car Care Talk Show. Thanks for coming back and helping me out here today, Jerry. And to all you listeners out there, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye.